Welcome to the Farm Hop Life Podcast. My guest today is Ariel McLaughlin from a tiny house called Fine Nith and Ariel Celeste Photography. Ariel, how are you doing today? Good. Uh, it's great to be here. Yes, thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, so I reached out to a group on MeWe, the Survival Podcast group, and asked if anybody wanted to come on and talk about farming, homesteading, anything like that. And you were pretty quick to quick to respond. Um, and I appreciate that. So we're, that's what we're talking about today. Your your invitation just happened to show. I don't see by any means everything posted on there, but your invitation happened to show up in the feed right when I was scrolling through. So it worked out. Perfect. Yes. So I haven't uh, I'm a new fan of yours. I, I hadn't heard uh-huh. of you before. So when you like when you messaged me, I was like, oh, OK, cool. And then you tell, like, I started, I watched your little trailer on YouTube. I'm like, whoa, seriously, this is what she does? This is great. (laughs) This is amazing. And so um, you got like 600 plus videos on your YouTube channel. And uh, I mean, you're just, well, as of, as of late, you had been pumping them out, but obviously with the new YouTube issue um, being locked out and whatnot, getting that channel back has been a struggle, but um yeah, fingers crossed on that. I have a subscriber who has a relative who is head of security in Google who thinks they're able to resolve it. I'm not able to post videos yet, but I think shortly I may be able to, which is super encouraging. Good. But in the meantime, all my videos are also on Odyssey if anyone wants to see the most recent stuff that's not on YouTube in the last month while Google's had me locked out. <laughs> fingers crossed. Well, that, that, that gets figured out. So... What was your life like growing up before five fine if? Where did you grow up? Were you born in a tiny house? I mean, <laughs> um, no. So I grew up in Pennsylvania. I live in Wyoming now. We're sit- I'm sitting in my tiny house here in Wyoming speaking to you. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania in kind of Amish farm country. My family was not actually Amish. They were brethren, which isn't Amish and isn't Mennonite, but um, is another plain group. And so my family was fairly conservative. I was really fortunate to learn a lot of useful skills from my parents because growing up, we always had a big garden, always had some amount of livestock, um, you know, prepared a lot of our own food from scratch, did a lot of canning, learned to sew my own clothes, which I actually hate sewing, but I'm glad it's something I could do if I had to, Um, you know, just learned a lot of useful skills. And I was homeschooled um, the whole way through school. My parents homeschooled all of us. I have six younger siblings as well. And so I got lots of practice doing all the housework stuff. And um, I heard you just mentioning your wife wasn't feeling well. My mother got very, very ill with morning sickness 24 hours a day for pretty much all nine months of every pregnancy. Um, And so I, being the oldest, got to pick up a lot of the slack there when she wasn't feeling good. So that wasn't always appreciated at the time, but it did result in me learning a lot of um, very practical and useful skills for for which I'm really thankful. So that's where I grew up. Um, I'd done, this could get to be a long story, but I'd done a, a short road, well, was most of a month road trip around the mountain well the whole west with a friend when we were in our late teens neither of us had ever been anywhere west we grew up on on neighboring uh, well she grew up on a big farm i 
parents just had a little farm at. But anyway, I kind of fell in love with the West. I think I'd probably already done so before I even came out here. And uh, a year or so later, I moved here. And so I've lived my whole adult life in the, uh, well, a little bit in Idaho, but mostly in the state of Wyoming. Um, and cool. that is how I got out here. That's awesome. So you're, you said you lived in an Amish community but you were more Mennonite. Is that what you said? Did I catch that correctly? Um, my family was actually brethren. So it's another very conservative group. And if you don't grow up in one of them, they all look the same, but you know, okay. um, my family did have vehicles. They weren't horse and buggy like a lot of Amish are, uh, right. but otherwise you grew up, you know, very conservative. Um, and I don't know if you want to share some photos. I do have some photos of my childhood, but. Oh yeah, sure. I, uh, I caught your, video well two one when you had some uh when you had your family like your your brothers uh come out yeah, yeah. so i i have a lot of siblings like i said and most of them are now married and uh i've got a bunch of nieces and nephews as well with another one on the way so um yeah that uh i've got a a fairly large family. Let's see if I can make this work. I haven't done a whole lot of screen shares. So there we go. Okay. So that was my parents. That's a baby me screaming my head off. My grandparents. <laughs> um, I have no recollection of this. Most photos are my own. Obviously, that is not one I took. I don't know who took right. that one. <laughs> do have a few other childhood foes. My parents did keep bees for a while, so I get to learn a little bit about that. That's, That's cool. Uh, me and the, the suit there helping my dad. That's you orchard. standing there? <laughs> that was me standing there. I'm the, I'm the oldest, so I'm generally the tallest one in all these pictures. That's me and one of my sisters with our goats. We had milk goats uh, for most of my childhood. Um, that was a TP Lodge that we built. I was a big fan and I'm feeding my stick horse there. I was a big fan of horses and always wanted to be an Indian. My hair was just very stubbornly blonde to feel like a real Indian. <laughs> um, that was some of the turkeys we raised and a few more of my younger siblings. Some more goats and bottle feeding a couple steers the one year. It's me and some, a brother and a cousin weeding in the garden. Um, uh, one year, this was really cool. If you have children of an age that can enjoy this, uh, we grew these sunflower houses and planted the the sunflowers in like a circle or a square and grew pole beans up them. And so they made oh. kind of this wall. And that was just what we did with an empty extra corner of the garden one year. I thought it was super cool when I was a child. Um, that is cool. So that's some of my childhood pictures. Um, I don't know if that fully answered your question about how I grew up or not, but. Uh, yeah, because so I watched you like I saw, like I was saying, your, you know, a couple of your brothers came out to visit. I watched that video and then I saw it was like related, like my my parents garden and like their greenhouse. And so I like I watched that when I was like, whoa, this is this is interesting, like your background. And then I, I was reading comments you know, your um, people are like, no wonder you're so good at explaining things. <laughs> you know, your dad's very thorough and precise. And there's a reason for everything that, you know, um, you know, 
yeah, there's just a reason for everything. You got to do it like this, not this, because this way, you know, this will fail you. Or, you know, I had a problem here, so I had to add this. And, you know, it was it was cool to see. And so, like, it makes a lot of sense uh, how you grew up and, like, where you are now. Um, so that was it, it was a cool back. It's cool to see those pictures. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, that's something probably not even most of my longtime subscribers have ever seen as many pictures of when I was a little kid. Sure. Yeah, it'll be a good treat for them. Uh, how often do you get back home to visit your parents? Do they do they come visit you? Um, they have been to Wyoming once in the 15 years I've lived here now. Um, like I said, I'm the oldest, so my baby brother is still at home. They were, you know, I'm the one that left. They were they were still actively doing things there, and now there's quite gotcha. a few nieces and nephews, like I said. So um, I don't expect uh, that visiting me is a real high priority when they've got lots of grandbabies to hang out with instead. Uh, but most of my siblings have gotten out here every year, every two. They like to, you know, especially as some of those nieces and nephews get older, bring them to to visit Wyoming. Um, some of my siblings now live actually in Seattle, so they went even further away, but the majority oh. of my family is still in Pennsylvania. And uh, I used to seem to get back there about every other year, usually kind of scheduled around somebody was getting married or something like that. Um, now it's been about four years since I've been there, since we now have a homestead that has livestock here, it is a little bit harder to leave. And Definitely. the East Coast has gotten a lot crazier and I just can't say I really want to go there that much. So we do a lot of phone calls and stay in touch and email pictures back and forth and don't see each other that often in person. That that part's kind of a bummer that it's kind of like tapered off, but you know, life gets in the way of things sometimes, like and other commitments. So I'm I'm totally with you. It's I find it hard to get back. I'm from Minnesota and I live in Montana. Okay. So um I have a lot shorter drive than you do. <laughs> Uh, if I choose to drive, that is, but, uh, yeah, but anyway. and it, it really works out. I mean, my siblings and I do like to stay in touch and actually in some ways I probably have a better relationship with my parents from 2000 miles away than we had when we were all in the same house together. And so I'm thankful for that. And I appreciate being able to maintain that. So I'm fine with not living next door. I've kind of found something similar. Yeah. You're a little, because you got to keep the routine of talking to your parents like, Hey, what's been going on, you know, instead of just like, just come over for dinner and just same old, same old, you know, it's something's different because you're in a different spot. So, um, what do your, what do your parents and your family think about like your, your lifestyle, the tiny home thing, composting toilets and like as a content creator? Um, I think that, I think that for the most part, they think most of the stuff about, you know, my general lifestyle as far as that is kind of neat. Um, you know, we just grew up doing what a lot of people would have probably considered like prepping, but it wasn't really because of that. It was just because, you know, if you raise your own food, if you whatever, grow corn and freeze it, you have to freeze a year's worth because you're not going to have any more till it grows the next season. So, yeah. so we always had a, a large, you know, stockpile of things and we're just well prepared for things 
generally to go wrong. So I think they think most of, you know, the stuff I'm doing is cool. My parents would uh, disapprove of some of my other lifestyle choices, like clothing and having, you know, my hair cut and down and not covered. Obviously, I'm not as conservative dressing as they are. So there's definitely some things they would disapprove of with that. But I don't think any of it has to do with pooping in a bucket or living in a tiny house or living in the mountains. <laughs> Have you convinced them that pooping in a bucket is the better way to go? Um, I don't know. I haven't asked them if they would consider that. They they live in a, you know, more normal house that has flush toilets. So I don't know. You have to ask them and then record the phone call or <laughs> video chat and it'd be good content. They're fairly practical people. So at I, I wouldn't hesitate to say that, yeah, if, if something, you know, froze up or backed up or, well, my baby brothers now owns a septic company. <laughs> so um, they probably wouldn't be stuck for very long, but like sure. I said, they're pretty practical. So if there, if there wasn't other options, I'm sure they would, they would do that just fine. Um, I noticed that you don't do any ads in videos. Do you, any of your videos directly or indirectly uh, provide you income? Um, somewhat, yeah. Uh, Google has uh, done, or you know, through YouTube has done advertising on some of them, and they pay me a commission percentage of that. That is not something I control, and what ads they put on a video entirely depends on what okay. you know. They it's it's not based on what they think about me. It's whatever Google knows about you, the viewer, and what you may be interested in, and what might be worthwhile advertising to you. Um, so that's that's not something I really um, have any you know, control over, but they do put, you know, ads on there. I've never decided to work with um, anybody like a specific sponsorship or affiliate or thing. Well, I guess I am an Amazon affiliate because it just, mostly just because it saved me time because so many people would ask me repeatedly the same questions. Where do you get right. that? Where is that thing you're using? And so being able to just set up and organize, here's all those things. You can find them easily instead of having to refine the link every time somebody asked me was handy. So Amazon pays me a little commission, you know, if somebody buys something through that. So that's that's nice. But yeah, that I've never, never worked to set up anything that's, you know, it's probably a good way to go to, you know, you know, contact companies and say, hey, I like your product. I would like to recommend your product. I mean, I still recommend products to people if they're ones I like. I've just never bothered setting up a relationship with their manufacturers that pays me sure. to do so. When did off-grid living become something that you were interested in? Um, there's probably two answers for that. I ended up off-grid in this tiny house because when I moved in here, I had the opportunity to park in a pretty spectacular location that was a little clearing tucked in the trees where I lived for the first seven and a half years that I lived in this house. Um, I've since gotten married and moved and we're on our own property and we're in a different place tucked into the mountains. But um, that spectacular parking spot because if somebody's not familiar i do live in a tiny house that's on wheels um you can hitch it up to any big one-ton pickup and tow it down the road so this house is movable which is i guess not a normal way people talk about their dwellings yeah i lived here and then i just moved my house um but it was a really cool spot and they're just being on grid there was no option at all the the closest grid power and stuff was a half mile away it would have been a multi-million dollar power run you know to get anything there so I went off grid specifically because of that situation. 
as far as being attracted to it, I've probably always liked being more independent and self-sufficient. And so all of those things have probably been somewhat attractive to me for most of my life. But before I moved into the tiny house, I was living in a, a very normal to most people townhouse that I, you know, a roommate and I shared and we had, you know, grid power and city water and sewer and all of that stuff. I, so what I'm gathering is that you weren't necessarily seeking out the off-grid living. It just kind of like, oh, I have an opportunity to move, like one, live in a tiny house, two, move it over here where there is no power. So I have to make this work if this is what I want. Is that right? Yeah, but I also do, um, I do value the independence and freedom. And there's, you know, it's nice when it's like, oh, there's a storm and everyone else has power out. It's like, well, right. I have the same limited power at my house that I always have from my little tiny solar setup. And so that's kind of nice. Um, and I I do really value that independence. The, the new property my husband and I bought together um, actually had power run, you know, just to pull right inside the, the lane. So we may in the future end up with power. The the house on wheels here is still, you know, only using the same little solar setup and generator that it's been using for my whole life in here currently. Um, but what I do know for sure is I don't ever want to be in a position where I can't do the things important to life if the grid goes down. I I guess I've lived this way too long. I'm I'm probably never going to be okay again with knowing that I couldn't heat my house or cook my food or right. take care of basic sanitation or water or things like that without power. So we might eventually have some more, which is handy when you have it. But for sure, all those you know essential to life things, we're always going to have one or two or four options of how to do them without as well. Definitely. It almost seems to me like, so normal people... It's, it's okay that you're not normal. Uh, normal oh, people are, uh, <laughs> normal people are too comfortable being reliant on the grid where it almost seems to me like you're uncomfortable being reliant on the grid. Is that like, so you, yeah, you find I'm comfort in being self-sufficient. Yeah. For luxury and extra comforts. But when they go away, I still want to be warm. I mean, you live in a cold, snowy place too, but I mean, it's been snowing all day. It's normally winter here for like eight months a year. I don't want to ever be in a position where I could freeze to death because the power's out. My only source of heat is electric or where I can't make hot food because my only way to cook is electric or where I can't right. get drinking water because the only way to get it to me is involves something electrical and, and so on. I'm kind of stuck where I'm at because like electric like electricity here is so stinking cheap that it's like everything in my house is electric. Yeah. Yeah. I live in a basic house. I'm not cool like you, but no, that's um, and it's electricity is actually really cheap here too. And people are like, Oh, you know, you're off grid setup. Well, that's, you know, makes financial sense. It's like, no, no financially for what I spent on having a little solar setup, I could have bought power for the next 50 years here in Wyoming and still not broke even and all of those wow. will be gone you know worn out long before then but it does give you a certain amount of independence and and you know location choices that are not otherwise options and so that does have some value i was watching your um your uh video on like the was ninety thousand dollars too much for a tiny house video like the finances yeah broke, broken down and everything and you mentioned that the area that you lived near, like, 
um, houses were just going for like, or millions or something like that. Can I ask where abouts you were that, that um, at the time, cause you know, this is seven and a half, eight years ago now that, that you had moved from there. Where was that? Um, I was very close to, at that time, um, Jackson, Wyoming, which people may oh, know of Jackson. That Hole. makes a lot There's of a sense now. Ski resort. There's two giant national parks. And as long as I'd lived there, I may not have said that publicly because my living situation would have probably fallen into a gray area as far as the legalities in that um, location were concerned. I never mm, had an issue okay. all the years I lived there, but that's where... It, it's not a joke that people laugh that the billionaires are squeezing out the millionaires. There is there is no way with that, anything yeah. I ever want to do in my life that I was ever going to buy a place there. Does I, I know we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit here, but like, does Jackson have like kind of like a homeless problem now, doesn't it? Because it's gotten so expensive or have they pretty yeah, much just I mean, like kicked everyone of- out? Uh, well, a lot of that, a lot of people commute from, you know, close to 100 miles away if they're actually working people there. Um, and that can be sketchy because like today, every due to the weather, every single road in and out is currently closed unless they got some reopened because avalanches block them and so on. Yeah, um, that's scary. And then, yeah, I mean, I know people who are, you know, if you think if you're I don't know, stereotypical, like dirtbag who's a homeless person who doesn't want to work or is just a lazy bum who lives in a van down by the river where we have a lot of people, um, or I should say there was a lot of people in that area who held down three full-time jobs, were maybe a professional chef in a five-star restaurant and were living in their van down by the river because there was nothing they could afford to live in, which is how I ended up in a tiny house in the first place because there was nothing I could afford to live in. That makes a lot of sense now. Um, so what was the biggest challenge to make tiny house off-grid living possible? Um, the tiny house part was not hard for me uh, personally. I've lived in a lot of small places, spaces. I've lived out of my car. I like to backpack when I live out of a little, you know, couple square meter tent for weeks that, you know, you can't even stand up in. Um, so I know some people, you know, if you watch these tiny house shows now, they have this big deal about how do I get rid of all these things and what do I keep? I don't really have any help for people who are in that position. I didn't have that many things I wanted to keep and I kept all of them. Um, so <laughs> that for me, just with my interests and stuff, wasn't a big deal. And I also do like being very active and outside. So a lot of my activities involve gardening or going hiking or wildlife photography. None of those things happen inside the building that I live in anyhow. So it, that partially is what helps it work out well for me, just with my particular set of interests. Um, the off-grid stuff, some of that was a little bit challenging. I moved into the tiny house right at the beginning of winter, uh, the end of November, which mm. if you're going to go off-grid in a cold mountain snowy place, I would recommend not doing it right at the start of winter, just so you have a little bit of a, a buffer space there before things all become emergencies to kind of just figure out your systems. But even then, none of it was anything real big. It was more just getting down my system. Okay, how do I do this? When do I need to do that next? Until it just became a routine that wasn't like, oh, this is an emergency. And oh, no, this is empty. And oh, no, I have to do that. You know, when it was all, you know, kind of new. You just wanted to do tiny house living on hard mode. It's not a big deal. It's just. (laughs) I guess that's, that's how it ended up anyway. So it sounds like 
you never really felt cramped and like an extra 30 square feet wouldn't make a big difference to you because you just didn't have the need for the space. That would mostly have made a difference. Like when I have friends or family visiting, you know, I don't have a whole lot of space. Um, you know, somebody can sleep on the couch. It does turn into a bed and right up these stairs behind me is the, the loft where my bed is. Um, so, you know, the furthest apart you can get when the whole house is only 24 feet long is, you know, you're not going to have a whole lot of space and distance. But other than that, as long as I was single for just me, this space worked really well for me. Um, now it's a little snugger with two people. Um, my husband doesn't have a ton of stuff in the house either because he's a builder and more of his stuff sure. goes in a shop rather than a house. And he is still actually temporarily has a, a cabin um, uh, that's provided as part of his job. So he's here part of the time and he's there part of the time. So for now that's worked out well. We haven't had to put all of his stuff and my stuff in here together. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff there. Um, but yeah, it's a little more snug with two people. I have friends who, you know, are not only married, but have two or three children and live in the same size of house. And I have to say, if I was in that position, I would want a little more space, uh, but right. definitely for just me and the things I do, like I said, you know, it's been really great, you know, for a lot of years. Um, this is the eighth year now I've lived in here, um, for, you know, my, my lifestyle. Do you ever give Fineth like celebrate her is it a her is it a he is it yeah, a they <laughs> uh do you ever celebrate her birthday it's like um eight years. i mean i certainly don't bake the house a cake or anything but i have years. most years done uh just kind of an anniversary retrospective you know video or blog post just kind of looking back at you know what I think about this whole setup now, now that it's two years, three years, four years, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that's probably, I don't know if you call that a celebration, but that's a tradition I started a few years in and I've kind of done it every anniversary of moving in ever since. I mean, that kind of makes sense because you've been in one spot longer than most people have been in like a house. Seems yeah, who like people are like, <laughs> right. I mean, so any, do you have any idea what building your tiny home would cost today? Double? I, triple? I would guess, um, I don't know how much labor has gone up and I didn't build it myself builders. You know, I hire builders to build it for me. Yeah. So I don't know how much that's gone up. I do know for sure because we're building some things right now ourselves that materials have gone up to three, 400% of what they were. Yeah. So um, I don't know for sure, but it would certainly cost more than what I paid eight years ago. And this is, if anyone's wondering, this is built like a, a, custom stick built home. This is not because people are like, well, why don't you just buy an RV? Um, I, I am opening, closing the window because the wood stove's on this side and it gets really warm in here. Um, <laughs> you know, a, an RV is nice. If you're going to move every day, you probably don't want something as heavy as this tiny house, even though you could do that. That doesn't necessarily work out to be real practical if you're moving all the time. But if you're going to move occasionally, and I didn't know how often I was going to move. Now it's only moved twice in eight years. But, um, you know, especially in a cold climate like this, having any actual, you know, stick belt house, it's insulated with spray foam. It's super warm. That's why I have to open windows. I mean, it's below freezing and snowing outside. It's January and um, I'm in short sleeves and I'm too hot indoors. Um, so, 
the the building itself obviously over time tires would deteriorate and if you want to move again you may have to get new tires but the structure itself should be just fine in another 100 years i mean it's it's right. better construction than most custom homes being built today yeah i'm in the trades and i've seen some new housing like i don't see this last <laughs> in more than 45 years but whatever um what <laughs> Changing gears here a little bit, uh, what motivates you to grow your own food? We kind of touched on it a little bit already, but if you want to go into a little bit more detail. Well, probably the, you know, self-sufficiency, you know, independence aspect, that's part of it. I'd say for me, the bigger motivation is to have um, control and knowledge over what actually goes in my body. I've had some some health issues from childhood on that were probably caused by the the Western medical system. And so at a very young mm. age, I got to learn about that there can be issues with just trusting supposed experts to tell you what to do. And so that has probably made me even more than some people want to know and understand. And, and I just, I like gardening and I like plants, even if all I ever grew was pretty flowers. I, that, that's part of it as well. But I also do like knowing what's gone into to my food, how it was grown, are there actually any nutrients in that lettuce leaf, um, you know, or even with animals, how were they handled, how were they treated, how how did they die, you know, all of that. Um, yeah. And, you know, butchering is far from my favorite thing to do, but that is something we do here. And my husband also hunts and we, you know, butcher elk together and things like that that are somewhat large butchering projects. But yeah, I think that's that a lot of work. <laughs> it is. Um, produces a lot of meat too. But yeah, that's probably the biggest single thing for me is wanting to know what is in my food. Is it actually nourishing my body when I eat it? And, and being able to trust uh, what actually went on because I'm the one that did it and saw it and, and so on. I don't have to just believe what someone else tells me. Right. There's a, that's great to know for sure. And you just feel more like empowered. Like I made this thing. So what if it's just a dumb tomato? Like I made this thing. Well, if I made you... a tomato grow here in Wyoming, I would be very happy with myself <laughs> if it was outdoors. We'll just have your husband build a little like attached greenhouse onto onto your tiny home. Well, an attached house. greenhouse onto the, the little house we're planning to build is definitely part of the plans. I'm going to get for there. Sure. We're, we're, we're working down the line. We're going to get there. <laughs> What, what are some foods that you can every year? Um, well, since we were just speaking of tomatoes, for sure I can tomatoes every year. And no, they're not ones I grow here because uh, this climate does not permit growing tomatoes outdoors without a heated greenhouse. Um, but there are some local people who drive to Utah and bring up produce from you know semi-local farms. And uh, I, I do can a lot of tomato products every year that we use through the whole a year I do, I always call it spaghetti sauce, but we use it as spaghetti sauce and tomato soup and pizza sauce and, you know, anything else you want a tomato based sauce for. Um, I also can, I like to forage and walk around the woods. So um, if I can get enough wild berries, I'll uh, either juice them and, and can that or make, um, you know, different, uh, you know, jam or something out of them. Any specific um, kind of berry? Do you have huckleberries down there? We do. I We never get enough of those that I want to to can them. We eat them all <laughs> there. They take yeah. a lot of pickle. We, we do pick yeah, huckleberries. 
Um, there's also, let's see, main ones are choke cherries and service berries. Those okay. are both a little less tasty than huckleberries fresh. Um, but when juiced, they, they make a really excellent juice. So that's probably the ones I can the most. Um, I usually do pickles every year. We both like pickles and then other pickled things. It's not really canning, but I do make sauerkraut every year. Um, cabbage grows really out can. there. And I like that. And then um, my husband's family history is actually Danish. And there's a kind of a sweet and sour pickled cabbage, usually done with purple cabbage, called Danish Christmas cabbage. And I usually can a bunch of that every year because we both like it. and We don't just eat it at Christmas. So that sounds pretty good. Um, other than that, I'll make applesauce or, you know, again, if I get them from someone else in a slightly warmer area, sometimes I'll can my own peaches. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've canned a lot of. That's probably the main things because some of the other veggies I prefer, you know, either dehydrated or frozen a little more than canned. Right. Um, are you in zone three or zone four? Um, you look at a map and it says four but things grow like a three and one of the things i find that people in warmer ish areas often don't think about with growing zones is that says you know this is the coldest temperature you're going to go down to it's not going to get colder on the coldest day than minus 30 or whatever um but i'll have people comment on things i share and they'll be like but i live in a zone three and i grow tomatoes just fine it's like so zone is only part of it. That's saying what the coldest day is. That doesn't tell you if your area spent one day at minus 30 or four months at minus 30, you know? And so right. combined with the coldest temperatures, I also have a very long winter, a very short growing season. And the other thing a growing zone doesn't tell you at all is how warm is your summer? I get frost and freezes all through the summer here. So I have a entire frost cover set up where I can roll frost cloth on and off of every single garden bed. It, Still wow. takes a little time, but I've got it set up where it's fairly efficient because if I could not cover even the what I grow in the summer here is what most people would consider a winter garden in most climates. Even the cold hardy <laughs> stuff that can take freezes <clears throat> is not going to make it to being very productive if I cannot cover it on the coldest summer nights. So that's a lengthy answer to what growing zone am I in? A really no, cold one. That's, that's, that's good. That's good to know. I, um, yeah, it's not so, it's really not that simple. It's just like, oh, yeah, like what you were saying, I'm in zone three and I can, whatever. I yeah. do backflips over my peaches or whatever they grow in. <laughs> yeah, but you may three. have, yeah. uh, more useful for me actually is the, um, you know, first and last frost states, the growing days you have in between there. Like where my parents live in kind of south central Pennsylvania, I think they have like 160 something days on an average year between the first and last frost. Oh, wow. uh, when you enter my location into a calculator, it says you don't have first and last frost dates. You don't have growing days, which is pretty much true. <laughs> That's funny. I guess I didn't think about like, I've, I mean, it can get dang hot down in, down in Wyoming, especially like, you know, Tetonish area. That's really more where I spent my time, but I didn't think that you have the risk of frost throughout the summer. Like that's, I just haven't spent extended. It's time more there, so. rare, but there was one year where a foot of snow canceled the 4th of July fireworks. I mean, we can get <laughs> weather at any time of the year. So there's, there's no like, Oh, now the frost risk is all past. And so I can count on this thing growing for however many weeks or months with without freezing. That's crazy. So with your climate, 
that is kind of maybe a zone three. Uh, <laughs> how did you pick your chicken and duck breeds? So I went looking for obviously breeds that are known to be somewhat cold hardy and, um, and somewhat independent. And uh, I just, you know, start out with just searching for, you know, cold hardiest, you know, chicken breed and stuff and reading different people's lists of these are the five top cold hardy ones, or this is the one we have and why we like them. What I ended up settling on was um, our chickens are all Icelandic chickens. Iceland, as you can probably guess from the name alone, is a pretty cold place. And apparently their history is they were brought there uh, by Vikings like a thousand years ago. And they are more of a land race breed. Nobody was trying to breed an Icelandic chicken. They just had no genetic influence with any mm -hmm. other chickens anywhere else on the planet for about a thousand years. And now they've started to die out as some of the more modern breeds have become popular. So they're, I always forget what the word is, threatened or something. They're not called endangered species when they're domestic right. breed, but that equ equivalent of domestic livestock. There's not a lot of them left in the world. There are some in Iceland, like a few thousand and a few thousand in the States, um, mostly mm. with people who are actively working to preserve the breed, which is uh, another aspect about them that I think is, is neat. I like heritage breeds and, you know, keeping them alive in modern times. But the main reason that I chose them is they are, are very cold hardy. They tend to lay very well through cold, dark winters. Um, that's what I had read. And that has so far been our experience. Our, our hens have all been laying pretty well. And obviously we just went through the, the shortest period of the year. Um, and they don't have any artificial light. I was pretty sure nobody in Iceland was turning on LED, you know, lamps in their chicken coops for the last thousand years. So I figured that is not any, you know, at this point what they're used to. Um, they're excellent foragers. They're a little smaller chicken than a lot of, you know, more popular egg or meat breeds, but they, um, in the summer, even though I offered them, you know, supplemental feed, they really didn't eat it. They just ate bugs and everything else they could find. And even in the winter, they don't eat that much. Um, and we did butcher some extra roosters. They make a small carcass, like a you know three pound carcass. They're not gonna be like if you raise Cornish crosses or something, but they're tasty little birds. And um, you know, so I've been so far happy with that choice, but that's basically the, I was looking for something cold hardy. I like the idea of helping preserve, you know, endangered heritage breeds. And I like, you know, critters that are mostly self-sufficient and, you know, and that still have the more natural traits of wanting to find their own food, wanting to mother their own chicks. And some of those things that have been kind of lost with some of the, the, you know, strains that have been selected for heavy meat production or heavy egg production without paying any attention to any of those other like normal chicken life things. Right. Um, and then ducks, we've got blue Swedish ducks. Obviously Sweden is also a, a cold place in the world. And, um, they're also a uh, somewhat, you know, threatened breed and there's not tons of them around. They were also known to be very cold hardy, very tough, very independent, um, and they look pretty. And so that's the ducks we've got. Nice. It probably makes a big difference, especially where you are. I mean, I'm in like zone five here and no oh, that's last... like the tropics. <laughs> I wish <laughs> last last weekend. It was, we had been in about the 20s or so, and then we had a couple overnight temps of like negative nine. I mean, just, just dropped. 
and I'm I'm out in the chicken coop with my son, and I'm like, man, why did the chicken's feet look weird? Like I've never seen them look like that. I had to look it up. They got mild frostbite because mm. it just dropped. They just they I don't know if it's the, it probably is the breed, but also the temperature just there was no grad like gradual drop. It just straight up dropped to negative nine, and so I was like, hope they make it. And then in like the same these same articles or whatever, you know, they're like, oh, you know, to treat frostbite on a chicken, bring it in, rub its feet, put Epsom salt on it. Like if you need, and I was like, I'm no, <laughs> if they, if they start getting frostbite, they're, they're going to go. Yes. Yeah, so ours have not seemed yet to have frostbite. The one rooster might have frostbite a little bit at the tip of his comb. Um, Icelandics have a huge variety of colors and shapes and um, comb styles and such. Uh, over time, if ours successfully, you know, don't count your chickens before they're hatched, but if ours successfully reproduce, the ones they will choose to keep will for sure be the ones that have like the smaller rose combs that don't have the the big, tall, you know, fleshy part yeah, that's, that'll make that's a easier to frostbite um, just because of, of where we live. But they have a nice little barn they can go into. That it's not heated or anything, but it is very much dry. They can be drying out of the wind. And so far, they've seemed to be fine with that. Yeah, I saw that. It looks really nice. Yeah, Clay did an awesome job of building it. It's more like a chicken palace. It's not really a chicken coop. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. It must be nice to have a builder that you're married to. Like, honey, can you it build is. this? Yeah. It is. And even when I think, first. oh, well, this will be fine. He's like, no, I can make it way nicer than that. I'm like, okay. I was going to settle, but you bought yourself more work. That's fine. Do you have any plans for other livestock? We probably don't. I mean, we may at some point decide to play around with something like turkeys, just because we both enjoy eating turkey. Um, but as far as bigger livestock, we only have three acres here. And that goes into another thing that I see, depending on where you live, three acres could support a whole lot of things. Um, with the you know semi-arid desert high mountain cold climate here if we got any bigger herbivore from a goat to a sheep to a cow to anything like that we would have to buy hay for it for most of the year because there's simply not enough you know forage on this property and i'm not real interested at this point into getting into anything that we have to pretty much most of the year supply food for it from somewhere else that you know, I'd sure. rather buy half a cow from a neighbor if we're going to do that from somebody who has place to pasture them than trying to crowd them in here. So, you know, we might always change our minds about something, but at the moment, we're probably going to stick with the little things that, that work well on the space we've got. I thought that might be the case, seeing cows, like cows, you know, 25 yards behind you and some of your... Yeah, we are surrounded by cattle pastures, so there are lots of yeah. beef cows here, but they're not ours. Yeah, I'm... I'm only on like two acres, so I know what you mean. Like, and I'm overlooking a an a generational, you know, grass pastured like nice. black Angus ranch or whatever. So, um, yeah, I I can literally see what I'm gonna eat, you know, next year. Grow up, I'm like you look good. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I I assume that you're in the same boat, whether it be cattle or goats or sheep or whatever it is that tickles your fancy i guess what what yeah. whatever's on the menu for next year right for now it's mostly been elk and they take care of themselves out in the mountains that's all year and, and so that's worked out just gotta go get them 
which can be a lot of work too. <laughs> Definitely. So you talked about the shop a little bit earlier. Is the shop just for clay or are you going to multi-purpose it? Like maybe do some seed starting in there or anything? Um, probably not seed starting. It, it, it was not constructed with a lot of windows. It is primarily for him and all of his tools and, and such for his business and so on. Um, now, if he was sitting beside me and say, you have a lot of stuff in there too. That's true. Um, it's currently also doubling as our extra pantry storage. Um, nice. and, and some of that stuff. But, uh, as I mentioned, we hope to eventually at some point build a small house attached to the ground. We're thinking of going really huge. Like this place is about 160 square feet, like a five or 600 square foot house. And, um, and hopefully with that will come a, a attached greenhouse. That would be where I'd hope to, to grow some, you know, fresh greens through the winter and do seed starting for the, the outdoor garden in the summer. That's and cool. um, hopefully a root cellar to make it a little easier to store some of those root crops a little longer before they start going bad and such. Um, but right now, some of that stuff is just stacked in the corner of the shop. But the the primary intention of the shop is to, you know, keep some tools and I keep gardening tools and stuff in there as well. But, you know, keep tools and, and mostly to have a workspace for him. So I did hear correctly that you might actually build a house that's not on wheels. That's the idea. If somebody comes back next week and asks why didn't it happen yet, I, I'm not sure when this is going to start. He's still working on finishing out kind of the inside of the shop to have workbenches and all the stuff to make that easy to work from. The general thought is that maybe that will be all done by spring and that maybe when the ground thaws again, we could start on a little house foundation wow. um, that's going to be dependent on work schedules and budgets and materials price increases and all of that. But the the hope would be that at some point with two of us, it would be nice to have a little more space than, than this place. And so to build a, you know, a small house here on our property. So then what's going to happen to find if? Um, she's probably going to stay right here and she's either going to turn into the guest house so that I can actually have a, you know, guest spot for friends and family when they come over. Um, or we've also talked about, you know, down the road, maybe even doing a little Airbnb for some, some extra income, but that was my first uh, thought. That's all somewhere in the future theoretical plans for right now. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. So we, we talked a little bit about your, your YouTube, uh, situation. What's with the flip phone? Um, yeah, I have somewhere it's it's funny i've had this now long enough that like my nieces and nephews come over and they think my phone is the coolest thing because they've never seen one in their life uh which is funny to me um i use a phone for talking before smartphones were invented i already had dedicated um big cameras because photography is something i've been interested in for a long time so yeah. i have several big you know dslrs and i already had a laptop and with most of the photo and video editing stuff, doing it through a phone size screen and power just never made sense. So since I already had all those things before smartphones became a thing, and I'm not a big fan of carrying around tracking spy devices with me all the time, I use my phone for talking. And so a flip phone does that very inexpensively and um, works out good for me because I use a computer, you know, laptop when I want to do other things that I realize a lot of people do from smartphones and, you know, that can 
certainly be practical if you don't already have that. I just already had so much other big dedicated equipment to other things that trying to run it through a, a phone just didn't really make sense to me. That's a that's a good answer. <laughs> Believe me, I'm definitely conflicted having a smartphone. Like it's so convenient, but I hate the privacy issues. And it's but, funny over the years, like when they first became a thing, people would be like, why do you still have a dumb old phone? And now when people see it, I get more of that. Oh, well, I don't think I could do it, but that'd be so cool if I could go back to a flip phone. So it's just been amusing to me to watch that change through time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm even looking at having like a, like a custom Android ROM. So I don't have like, I'm trying to like de Google my phone. I'm still like on the fence, like, you know, the convenience over privacy debate in my head. And I don't know what's going to win yet. Yeah, there's pros and cons. But, you know, for me, that that's how it ended up this way. I already had, you know, bigger, better equipment that did a lot of the things that people now use smartphones for. So all I really want my phone to do is let me talk to people. And it does that. Very nice. So what is the long term goal for your new property? Um, the long term goal is for us to live here happily ever after and produce the not all because as long as we have access to buying things from other places, I'm going to want chocolate and Clay's going to want coffee, but uh, produce the majority of our our sustenance here. Um, we did plant a small orchard. Uh, last fall and this spring, it's small and it'll be a while before we are eating any fruit off of that. I planted a bunch of berry bushes, um, but are wanting to work toward um, having, you know, kind of fruit that reproduces itself, plants that reproduce themselves, chickens and ducks that reproduce themselves, which is another reason I want some of the more old fashioned breeds that are still known to generally go broody and actually raise their own babies. Sure, um, yeah. and, and so, you know, that's a long-term goal. You know, I already grow a lot of veggies and stuff in the summer and we eat a lot of it fresh and preserve some of it. But I want to just kind of keep building on that to get to the point where other than a few luxury things that, you know, just are never going to be produced in this part of the world, um, that we can eventually hopefully be mostly self-sufficient as far as the, <clears throat> the foods we consume here on our property. That'd be... That'd be great to uh, to be able to do all that. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of work. To yeah, and I, we're not going to be there next year. I mean, like I said, fruit trees. It's going to be years before they produce. It's going to be years before some of those berry bushes are big. Things grow slowly here, you know, with the weather and all that. Um, but you know, the garden's already productive. We're getting tons of chicken eggs right now. We have a freezer full of chicken that you know grow up here and run around the yard. Um, so, you know, we're working toward that. Hopefully every year it'll be a little more. I wanted to get bees. Um, that was on the to-do list for this year. But with moving and everything else, uh, somehow I ran out of summer and hours in a day. So that didn't happen yet. But, you know, our own honey production is is also on the eventual to-do list and and just all that kind of stuff. That'd be really cool. I'd... So I guess maybe that would be a livestock thing we're considering. They're smaller than chickens. Not That's a true. Thing. That's true. That's kind of like a cheap... Like a an easy thing to, not, they're not easy to keep or whatever, but that is that does relate to the livestock question, I suppose. Yeah. But um, hey, is there anything else that you wanted to to talk about or wrap up on or? Um, I don't know. I'd 
I just encourage anybody watching this, if you have similar interests, not that anybody else is going to like all exactly the things I like doing in life, but over the years of sharing my ups and downs and experiences and stuff with people, I have got a lot of people that make me a little bit sad because they'll eventually comment something like, you know, I'm 80 now and I wish I had done what you're doing. And, um, and, and I didn't know it was an option or I didn't know I could, um, or I just, you know, I did all the things I was supposed to do and now I'm old and I can't do the things I want to do. And so what I would encourage people to do is whatever the things are, if, you know, if you picture yourself on your deathbed, what are you going to wish you had done in your life? And then figure out what it's going to take to get that. You're not necessarily going to be there tomorrow. I mean, I, I could go through a whole lot of history here. I worked a lot of jobs I didn't like for a while to pay for this house um, and so on. But figure out what your goal is, because if you don't know what you want to do in life and aren't taking steps to work toward whatever that is, which very well may not be a tiny house and you may hate chickens and maybe you never want to walk around on a mountainside backpacking or anything like that. But figure out what what those things are for you and what you want to do and and then figure out what steps you're going to have to take, you know, to make that happen, because it's it's sad to me when people get toward the end of their life and then say, I wish I had spent my my time differently. And, um, you know, time is all something that we never get back and we never know how much we're going to have. But that's something I wish for for people to be uh, able to work toward spending more of their time doing more of what they want, which sometimes requires intentionally thinking about what do you want? And how are you going to make that happen? That was really well said. Um, that brings up a really like I'm I'm kind of watching your videos like out of order. So what is it that you do for work these days? Um, a variety of things. I clean houses for a couple people. That's kind of the most consistent year-round thing. Does that pay and pretty then, well? What's that? Does that pay pretty well? Um, it can actually, I, I happen to clean for some fairly wealthy people who are willing to pay pretty well to have the, the same person always in their house. Um, sure. you know, the kind of families yeah. that don't necessarily want a cleaning service, who's going to send a stranger, you know, that they don't know they, they do place a value on, on their privacy and such. So, um, I have a better paid cleaning job than, than some for sure, which has, has been good for nice. you. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then odds and ends of stuff. I mean, in the summer, sometimes I'll help somebody with their ranch work or painting a building or lawn maintenance or, you know, mowing and weed whacking. Um, in the winter, I'll end up doing a lot of snow shoveling for people. And so everything else is just kind of odds and ends and a variety of things, which I actually enjoy because I would not be a good person to sit in an office building doing the same thing day after day. I would just get incredibly bored with that. So I, I like the variety and um, you know, over the years, once I had paid off my house, that kind of gave me the financial freedom to to spend less time doing jobs I didn't like um, because I yeah. have a lifestyle that, you know, still requires an income, but but less than some because I I choose to enjoy things that are not generally expensive. Um, you know, once you have a pair of decent shoes, you can walk around the mountains for a lot of miles without it costing anything extra. Or, you know, you buy a few seeds and you can spend a lot of hours in a garden without it costing more money and so on. So that's worked out, you know, okay. And it also means that bigger projects like wanting to build a house go slowly. But there's trade-offs to whatever you choose in life. That's very true. 
well, it's cool that, you know, you can make that, make that all work out for you. So um, I was going to ask him a follow up question, but I couldn't make it sound right. But so we're going <laughs> to, we're going to skip that. Um, so, Hey, is there anything that you want to, you want to plug before we sign off here? Oh, well, if anybody's interested in checking out what I'm doing, um, my tiny house is called Fineth. That's Welsh for my nest. F-Y-N-Y-T-H. If you search for that, you can find me everywhere I am. I do have a blog with lots and lots of posts from the past eight years of ups and downs and things I've learned and things that worked out well and things that I wouldn't do again, um, which I try to share because I hope somebody else can learn from my experiences and save themselves a little time and trouble. Um, there's a video channel on both YouTube and Odyssey where, yeah, I think there's 650 something videos with lots of ups and downs. And then some, uh, some of that is also just photography. I enjoy the wildlife I'm surrounded by living here in the mountains. We have, you know, uh, mountain lions, bears, moose, elk, you know, bison, wolves, all, all kinds of cool creatures. And so some of them are simply wildlife videos, which are not my most popular, but they're one of my favorites. Um, but you can find me there on MeWe, Float. I'm not really on any of the the big legacy social media sites. I left, you know, Facebook and such quite a while ago. But if you just search for Fineth, you'll you'll find me everywhere that I am, pretty much. Very cool. Well, uh, this has been this has been a great interview, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to be with me today. So, thank you. Okay. Well, thanks for setting this up. And since you're, you know, kind of a neighbor closer to a lot of people, if you ever get to Wyoming, give me a shout and come over for a visit. I'd love to. I'll bring the whole family. So we'll, Go for we'll it. get some work done, get, get something done there. So help you out.